my gosh. This is not how I imagined it. <laughs> I think because it's called off book, I sort of imagine, you know, you're around a table yeah. in your radio studio <laughs> with like lots of books and stuff. No. Mm. No, it isn't. It's in the it's old stationery cupboard. It's <laughs> <laughs> really good. <laughs> Welcome to Off Book, a podcast from the Young Vic, where we have conversations with creatives who have recently inspired us with their work here. My name is Daniel Delamotte Harrison, and it is brilliant to be joined by the theatre and film director Natalie Abrahami. Natalie, good morning. Welcome to Off Book. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Natalie, I don't know if you've heard any of these podcasts before, but how we normally start is we trawl through uh, your childhood and we ask uh, what that was like for you, where it was, and if arts played any significant role in it. Very good. Well, I guess my first theatrical memory is being taken to Starlight Express. Oh, wow. I think I was about sort of three. And I must admit, everything has been a sort of disappointment since then <laughs> because I thought everything was on roller skates after that. So I was disappointed. But, um, but I do remember that really vividly and sort of falling in love with Rusty and this, the stage going all all around me. And I thought that was amazing. But um, I didn't... Um, my dad directed documentaries and my uncle is a photographer. So I think I was always interested in, in images and ideas like that. But I wasn't, I never wanted to be on stage. So always um, interested in kind of shaping ideas behind behind the camera. So I didn't do any kind of theatre as such. I remember, you know, everyone has their nativity story, I guess. There is a photograph of me in a tutu as a ballerina walking the tightrope <laughs> in the school nativity play, which is a sign that there wasn't even any logical role for me to play. I was somewhere in the dregs of the 31st person in the class that had to have some sort of role. But um, but my mum did love going to theatre, and we did kind of go to our local theatre once in a, once in a while. But um, And where was no, this? This was in south-west London. Okay. Yeah, in the suburbia. I mean, I think I, think I thought it was London, but it was definitely okay. suburbia. But you didn't do any um, theatre at university, did you? Or Because you, you did English literature at uh, yes. Cambridge, that's yeah, right. Yeah, I did it? do English literature at Cambridge, and I thought that's where, you know, that's where you go and you become a director. Somehow that happens. And um, I certainly applied to university thinking I was going to do loads of directing. I remember talking at my interview, and the, the person interviewing me was saying, you know, your second year is a really good year to do loads of directing because you'll know lots of people and you'll know what plays you want to do. So... I got to university and I was so terrified that I didn't do anything. The drama scene at Cambridge was really, really intense and I just sort of went into the into the corner and couldn't really couldn't really cope with it. But I, I had I did sort of at at the sixth form, I did sort of know that I wanted to start making theatre and my I didn't and there was a kind of opportunity to direct the sixth form play and I didn't I didn't get it but my my head of sixth knew that I was really keen to do something so he kind of helped me channel my energies and I did a site specific well it wasn't called site specific in that <laughs> in that era but I did a production of Oedipus Rex on the fire escape <laughs> in our in our school and my major memory of that really is just standing at the school gates hoping that the people who'd agreed to be in the play wouldn't leave so basically trying to ban them from going home so that we could rehearse it but it was a fun it was a fun kind of stepping into that to that world, but I didn't. I was really scared at university, and um, I did do. I did direct three plays, but I didn't do. You know, so many people did musicals and really cut their teeth doing fantastic things. But I was a bit, a bit timid, which I guess is why I still hankered after the idea of directing. You know, I really thought I want to be. I want to be a theatre director, and you know, I want to direct film. And this dream is still alive. I just need to check what it's like in the real world. So I spent most of the term when I should have been revising for my finals <laughs> scouring the very, very nascent internet, as it then was, um, for jobs. And I found a job at the Royal Court as a graduate trainee. So I applied I applied for that. And 
I remember going for the interview for that and it was very clear that you needed to be a producer and so I kind of sort of massaged all of the work that I'd done at university <laughs> to kind of say you know I had I had produced the three plays that I'd that I'd done you know with with you know with with friends and stuff so I kind of talked all about my producing experience which was so important and um and then I got to the interview and um and they said, you know, what do you hope to get out of this? You know, it's a kind of, um, it's an administration role and you'll kind of learn about, you know, um, being a producing theatre. You know, what do you want to learn? I was like, oh, do you want to know my five-year plan? And they were a bit <laughs> like, oh, okay, you have a five-year plan, I guess. And I said, you know, I'd really love, in five years, I'd really love to be running a building. And so I guess I want to see what it's like to be in a building and see how one is is run to, to know. And I think that they... I mean, gosh, you know, I don't think I would have taken that person on. I was like, oh. But um, I think youthful exuberance is a useful is a useful thing, and I was excited and interesting. So I interested. So they did take me on, and I had the opportunity to be Ian Rickson's personal assistant for that that six month period. Because my only skill is touch typing, <laughs> and so I answered a lot of letters and did a lot of post and did a lot of diary stuff. And um, and then what I really wanted to do was assist. And um, and so I kind of then, at the end of that six months, they offered me to continue doing that role, but then with the opportunity to assist Ian on Roy Williams's play, Fallout, after, at the end of that six months. That was my first um, assisting opportunity, and that was brilliant learning from him. So it was kind of, and that was what really, watching him in the rehearsal room made me think, yes, this is where I want to be. I have to find my way to fight tooth and claw to get into the rehearsal room as much as possible. And was it a very uh, was was the environment at the Royal Court uh, beneficial for your for your learning? Were, were you able to, or was it? I don't know how to put this. Was there lots of opportunity for you to to develop as a as a director there? Being at the Royal Court was, I think, one of the best years of my life. I absolutely loved every moment of it. I don't think I'm ever going to have such a good desk. You know, I, I sat at <laughs> a desk which actually looked over Sloan Square. I could see them rearrange those amazing neon lights every time there was a new play on. I loved the thrill of seeing my name in the play text as kind of lowly, you know, graduate trainee. And I kind of learned so much from Graham Wybrow, who lived on the fifth floor at the time and was the literary manager. And, you know, I could go and talk to him and find out more about scripts. And then actually when I left, I did become a script reader for him. And actually that script reading sort of world was something that I really loved and was how I got to know Carrie Cracknell very well and that sort of relationship developed but I just I just loved being in a theatre that produced so much work you know there was you know so many shows going on in the theatre downstairs and theatre upstairs and you know I got to um after that I got to assist um Simon Stevens and um on the young writers group and I just I just absolutely wanted to absorb everything because I'd just been doing a degree where for three years we'd only talked you know, we'd only studied dead writers, essentially. Mm. You know, the new, the modern writing period at university was a 1970s paper, and I was at university in the 2000s. So that was kind of something to engage with. And I and I tried to do as much theatre at university. I did two dissertations, one on Samuel Beckett and one on restoration theatre. But it was just a real thrill to be able to meet living writers. The degree I did was quite interested in only the text. It wasn't interesting what happened in the writer's life. The writer's life was not relevant. It was sort of taboo to even think that they might have had a life. And, um, and that was all I was interested in, really, kind of how the life affected the work. And so it was brilliant to be in a theatre where all the writers were alive. And as a younger woman uh, wanting to become a director, it must have been quite frustrating for you that all of these writers were dead white men. Did you think, well, hang on a second, where is the diversity here? During my degree, yes, yeah. oh yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. During my degree, it was really hard to kind of find find um, a female a female playwright. Let um, you know there were there were female novelists, mm. but not but not so many playwrights. And that was I remember so vividly going to see Sarah Kane's Blasted and thinking, 
this is extraordinary. And I think that was the thrill of the Royal Court that did seem to be sort of trying to kind of find emerging writers from lots of different backgrounds. And I think it's going even further in that direction now. It's kind of, that feels so much more, you know, part of the part of the kind of the actual language and kind of where we are in our society. Everyone is really trying to sort of embrace diversity and understand where we are but I think even even then it always felt ahead of its time as it as it should and as a script reader there what were you looking for in these plays what what for you did you think ah that that's got legs that's got marriage this is something that that can turn into a into a well it was yeah it's a good it wasn't really about me it was very much reading for the court and so there was this kind of um, all of the scripts were referred to as the snake in the sense that you could see how they were stacked up with lots and lots of scripts. And so I was, you know, doing the kind of first sift and things. And I think Graham Rybo was always asking us to kind of find the things that were unique about the play. You know, we had to summarise the play in a way that, you know, every single word in that sentence was unique to that play and couldn't describe anything, anything else. And you were just looking for a new and interesting voice. And I guess that's where, you know, diversity comes out of kind of not wanting you know we were specifically told not to be looking for royal court play that was not what it is because royal court play was what was ever going whatever was going to be new and what people needed to be speaking about then so that felt really exciting to be feeling like you were you were kind of searching you were on an adventure to see what might come up and you hoped that every day in your stack you might find that new play that would then go on to kind of be read by a senior reader and then go on to kind of you know the script meeting so it was um it was an exciting quest and I think that that remains I love reading I, lo- I always read with immense hopefulness. You know, you always hope you're going to find that amazing new voice. And there's a lot of power in that, I suppose, that you have the potential to lift voices, lift stories and, and, and push them further on their journey. It, it, I think, you know, I mean, I was just a lowly, lowly, lowly reader, but it is it is exciting to kind of, you know, meet a new person through their text. Mm. And you can see, you know, the choice of language, the choice of you know, the way the way a text emerges, you can very quickly get a sense of someone and that is really exciting when it feels new and unique. Let's return to that five year plan that you told Ian Rickson all about. <laughs> <laughs> so five years later, had that plan been been achieved? What 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 happened next? Miraculously <laughs> it had, but there was no design in that. That was just by chance. I am um, so when so when I was first working um as an administrative assistant, as a graduate trainee at the Royal Court, I was lucky enough to work with a woman called Nia Janice, who was at that time, the exact time that I arrived, um, was producing a play. And she was reproducing a play by Joe Hill Gibbons, and it was going to be at Battersea Arts Centre. And it, they, he had just won this amazing award called the James Millers Kitchen Award for Directors. And I'd never heard of it. And suddenly, I kind of understood that there was a sense of, I was in a building for new writers and emerging writers um but there was also a place for directors as well and this this was a war this award was my first sort of inkling into it and i remember going to see the play and being so excited about it so the the james Minger's kitchen award was on was on my radar then of something like that could be a hope that could be an opportunity to direct a play and then i applied for it the year after and then got shortlisted the year after and the year after that i i was lucky to be I was lucky enough to be awarded it. But simultaneously, I think in that sense of being at the court, I wanted to gravitate to where was a place for directors. And then that's where the Young Vic sort of came into into my kind of radar. And I think, you know, when I joined the directors programme, there were probably only 35 of us. And <laughs> now, now I'm in good company of probably near near to a thousand. Um, but that was a really exciting time of kind of finding that the Young Vic was there to support directors as well. And, and what was that play that you won the JMK Award with? That was um, two plays by Samuel Beckett. So um, I'd done this dissertation at university about Samuel Beckett's use of 
innovative use of theatre lighting. And um, and I wanted to do a production of two plays, um, Play and Not I. So Play is the one where there are three characters kind of in urns, kind of being interrogated by light for all eternity. And then Not I is when you just see a mouth who's... Um, lit by just a very very specific light and when he wrote those plays those sort of lights didn't exist you know there was a stage manager moving the light really quickly to go back and forth between the urns and he sort of pretty much had to kind of commission a light to be that specific to just light a mouth and so I really wanted to do those two plays and explore what that was like with contemporary you know theatre lighting that we had and and that was really exciting to do at BAC and they let us kind of drill into the floor to recess the urns so that the people looked like they were really in the ground and then we did this sort of thing where the light that was interrogating the characters in the urns kind of went crazy and then sort of found the mouth and it sort of was trying to create this sort of um, nefarious kind of um, limbo world where these characters were stuck for all eternity and it was, um, yeah, it was really fun to do. And that was at Battersea Arts Centre, was it? It was, yes. Yeah. So th- at that point, the James Mingus Kitchen Award was at Battersea Arts Centre. That's where James had done a lot of his directing. And Tom Morris, um, who was the artistic director at the time, was was also the chair of the board. And so the award was there. But it feels really lovely that we're now in the Young Vic and that's where it is now. And I guess there's a long, you know, there's a nice little journey that went round, which is that when I won this, when I received this award, I was totally terrified. I couldn't really believe that I'd got it and was very, very scared. So I wrote to everybody who had either directed that play or had been in a production of it. And um, I wrote to Juliet Stevenson because she had been in Not I and she'd also been in play in a film version that Auntie Minghella directed. And she very, very kindly wrote back to me and I she invited me to her house and I went and sat at her kitchen table and she got her box files of these two productions, the Katie Mitchell Not I and then... Um, Anthony Minghella's play and we talked and talked and talked and it was so generous of her to give me that time so she was sort of always there in my mind. So was that your yeah. first relationship with Juliet? Mm. That's the first time you met her? Yeah, oh, so that, fantastic. Was in, that was in 2005 and so then it was really kind of lovely sort of nearly 10 years later mm. to sort of re... Maybe she was hoping to get a job out of it with you later on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was, that was definitely her long, her, it was a long... It was a long game. No, she's so generous with her time. She's... The more I, you know, the more I kind of think about that, the more I go, I'm, you know, I'm th- that I'm one of many people who sat mm-hmm. at her kitchen table and she's given their time. You mentioned, time. well, I'm sure we'll talk about Juliet later on. But you, you mentioned Carrie Cracknell a little bit earlier mm. on, who you uh, were co-artistic director of the Gate Theatre with. How was that for you? Because there you are, you've achieved what you said to Ian Rickson that you wanted to achieve. You are uh, leading a, a theatre. What was that like? That was insane. I mean, that was, you know, we, we Carrie and I had sort of done a lot of script reading with, with Graham Weber at the Royal Court and we had kind of spent a lot of time together. We'd done the National Theatre Studio Directors course and we'd got on incredibly well there and were both really excited and inspired by international, you know, work that we'd been seeing, you know, predominantly at Sadler's Wells or at the at the at the Barbican. And we really wanted to sort of see whether we could sort of whether there could be a homegrown version of that. And so we we, you know, just put our hats in the ring for for the for the job you know we'd never ever run anything more than a student overdraft and suddenly <laughs> they'd sort of taken a punt on us which we couldn't really believe we hadn't even justified why we'd wanted to run it as a as a duo and and I think that's a big a big deal because what if we hadn't got on well or you know it kind of hadn't been tried and tested but I think we had a it was a very pivotal point in the gates sort of growing up in a way it was the first you know when when big characters like Stephen Georgie had been there, it was the, the thrill of it was that you could have as many actors on stage as you liked, possibly more than more than the audience if <laughs> you wanted, because they didn't they didn't get paid. And when we were at the gate, there were, it was on a journey that Erica Wyman had started, and then Fia Sharrock had continued, which was to get 
the gate to pay equity minimum. So that meant a massive fundraising push because obviously with only 70 seats and, you know, the seat wanting to t- keep the ticket prices, you know, reasonable and, and low, you've got to do, you've got to find the money somewhere to pay actors um, a proper a proper wage. So we knew there'd be a big fundraising push. And so our idea, I guess, was that we could support each other, that while one of us was in rehearsals, the other one could still be doing all of that work. And it, and it worked really well. I mean, they were the best, you know, they were the most fantastic five years, but they were you know incredibly feral and mm. crazy and you know the life was you know sort of dealing with rats in the <laughs> in the loo and kind of you know kind of I remember sort of um you know for one show Carrie did um the designer wanted all of the seats in the theatre recovered and as our Christmas party that's what we did we sat in the theatre <laughs> and we recovered all the seats and I remember being really devastated when the designer told me that I hadn't done a good job on this one seat and I was like I'm not a professional I'm trying my best um and the gate was full of that of just everyone trying their trying their best but you must be so proud of that achievement that equity minimum to to be the artistic director the co-artistic director to bring that in that's fantastic that that was a really really important step for us it felt really um you know it was a there was a long journey kind of reaching it so you know we were just sort of kind of the next people in the baton but it felt really good to know that you were paying people I mean admittedly it's only the minimum minimum but it is it is the living wage and you weren't asking people to to kind of you know I think so many so many situations are that people are subsidizing the arts and you know we weren't asking actors to do that and what about you and uh, Carrie both being women and uh, sharing that role and uh, the, the the power of female leadership in the arts? And did you find that, you know, it's quite a macho culture, isn't it? So here you are, two women as co-artistic directors of a theatre. Sort of, did that allow you to sort of nurture each other in your in your careers? Do you see what I mean? I think, I think one of the things was that we wanted was to be able to kind of be supportive of each other and, you know, we could sort of note each other more more you know more toughly than anyone else you know could be each other's harshest critics and know that it came from a place of love and support and I think we wanted to kind of make that the ethos for the organization as well and you know we always had a sort of pact that we didn't want anyone to be confused about you know who to go to that we would always kind of agree you know we always in public we always agreed and if we ever had a difference of opinion we would deal with that in, in private and in fact we had this code and we never really had to address it because actually we sort of did um, instinctively kind of have the same the same passions and aims for the for the theatre but it was really um you know we were by no means pioneers there were so many artistic directors you know brilliant women kind of ahead of us but it did feel really really exciting to be able to be running an organization that that young and that was kind of a really great opportunity you know it means that you make a lot of your mistakes in in public mm. and that is very exposing but also a brilliant way to learn and it felt that we could then bring a lot of women through with us and that was kind of something that we felt very passionately about you know we commissioned a lot of brilliant young young writers you know we had um Lucy Kirkwood and Nancy Harris and Sam Holcroft and it was really exciting to be able to you know kind of push those writers forward and give you know because we did a lot of um reinterpretations of classics so where the playwrights had been out of copyright and and we felt that we were hopefully giving writers an opportunity to work work those muscles and work in dialogue with a with a kind of uh, pre-existing play and a dead playwright and um, many years maybe before they might give that get that commission in the future so that was yeah that was fun so we've spoken about the royal court and battersea art center and the gate we've not actually spoken yet about this place where we are right now here today the young vic you were uh, an associate director here um, how was that for you i loved being an associate here i mean it was 
you know, just a brilliant, brilliant opportunity to work really, really closely alongside David Lan and attempt to understand the magic that he weaves. I mean, it's it's impossible to. You can't, you know, he, I think he is such a visionary that you can't second guess or predict him. But I loved every moment of being his 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 associate and trying to sort of, you know, observe a little bit more closely how he thinks and works and just always wants, always searching for the new, always wants to find a new way of making things. Nothing is too too ambitious nothing is too scary nothing you know everything needs to constantly be new and reinventing itself and I found that really really thrilling to work alongside him in that in that context and you during your time here you directed here as well with first of all after Miss Julie um, which is a very interesting uh, production because it was also a production which was part of classics for a new climate where the aim was to make a piece of theatre with as minimum carbon footprint as possible is that right yes that was a really that was a big brief and one that <laughs> I was really really up for taking on because I think you know we make you know theatre is very disposable and I feel really conscious about what that footprint is and it was really it was wonderful to be able to have a really long lead in time to really investigate where are the places that we can improve and where are the places that actually theatre is o- is okay at you know and certain things you know should you know a big thing we had was you know should we be printing scripts at all and actually if paper has um a life of more than five days then it is worthwhile having and your know, script lasts longer than longer than that but for instance when we did our auditions you know we didn't we didn't um we had scripts that we kind of recirculated to people so we weren't kind of being too wasteful there but it was really i got the opportunity to kind of contact lots of experts and get advice from them and one of the things that was you know really brilliant about being working in the theatre is that you can really harness people's imagination so they can do some of the work for you so you know if you were doing after miss julie you know in you know on film or in 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 television you'd need to have all of the detail of every single item you'd need the tiles on the wall and things like that but actually you know people have seen Downton Abbey they know what that image is and so we could really sort of use the bare minimum set to evoke the world and ask the audience to use their imaginations so the breeze block walls of the Maria were there in this kind of you know 1940s 1940s stately home and I think that worked really well and one of the one of the biggest I guess legacies of the show is that um now on the young Vic balcony is the table and the bench from after Miss Julie, which was made of scaffolding um, boards. So already it was kind of reused and recycled when we made it as the big table um, that's the centrepiece of the of the show. But it's really nice that kind of, I guess, what, five years on, it's still, it's been hard enough to stand outside on the balcony, you know, through rain and shine and then be used as a kind of staff lunch area. So it was, um, yeah, we learnt, we learnt lots of it. And, you know, I think I was really worried about stage lighting and using lights and should we use LEDs and then actually when you dig a bit deeper you go well actually to buy a whole lot of new LED lights is using a lot more embodied energy you know when actually Young Vic has a very relatively new set of lights and actually the lights we were very strict about them only being on when we needed them you know and actually then the lights are only on for an hour and a half during the show you know and being really clear in tech when you needed them on and off so we learned lots of different things and it was it was interesting because the whole organization got involved so although I was a kind of freelance director just coming into do that show the the whole organization got involved and there were lots of innovations that we that kind of still maintain you know we, we didn't have tickets for that show we just got some offcuts from Emma Hayward in the in the workshop she made the table she made the benches and she also gave us these offcuts which we used as as tickets and taking part now uses those tickets still you know five years five years on so that was really that was really great to kind of make sort of little shifts that kind of then could potentially have repercussions and Julie's bicycle were alongside us during the process so they helped us you know compile the stats and understand what was what was going on and they wrote a paper about it which was really helpful because some of it is not very glamorous you know you think 
um, how do you make the biggest change? And actually changing the way the air handling system worked was the biggest significant change. And we said to people, we sent emails saying, um, we're experimenting with not cooling the theatre. So you might find that it's a bit hotter or a bit warmer. There'll be a kind of six degree um, range. And so make sure you're layered up. And that revelation has ma had a massive impact on energy, but also on finances. And it's something that Young Vic now rolls out. And that has kind of remained as a legacy from from this show. So it's not the sort of thing that people maybe are that interested to know about. But it's one of those things that <laughs> I'm has interested an impact. To know I'm glad it. you're interested. <laughs> well, you're head of sustainability, so that's good. But it was um no, it was um those those little things that you know you wouldn't put in the program. Mm. Or we had actually our programs were our programs were shareable, so you could sort of hire it just for the show because we sort of did some research that meant that most people throw away their programs. So you think you could just you could buy one for two pounds as a souvenir if you wanted, or you could just like rent it for fifty p for the show, and lots of things like that that were just kind of fun to pilot. So it was really no, I love doing. And it. what you said about the breeze blocks, do you think that we just as well you as a director, you just have to trust the audience to go with you on this journey. They know that they are in a theatre. They know that they have to suspend disbelief to some certain extent. So actually, that kind of total immersion isn't necessary. My, I mean, I think there is a real thrill in total, in total immersion when, you know, people go to a site-specific show, you know, that someone has taken over a whole warehouse and the detail of that is, is amazing and thrilling because you are in your own film set or you're in your own fantasy. But I think in theatre, one of the, one of the joys of it is that people want to be involved. It is, you know, a collective, a collective activity. And I think particularly in this kind of more digital, um, digital age, people really love to kind of see the sweat on someone's forehead or kind of understand that that is live. You know, there was a nosebleed in, in um, Wings the other night, and I think that was really like, oh my gosh, that is a real person. They're doing something. We have to stop the show for forty minutes. And I think people enjoy having to harness their imagination, and I think that's um, one of the things that people love about theatre. And also, one of the things that I always find thrilling, and I learned so much from previews or from the first dress rehearsal, is that. An audience is much more collectively intelligent than individual members. You know, the the collective IQ of you know 150 people in the audience is much greater than ours in the rehearsal room. You know, of the 20 people, and so that that also helps. You know, that you may that between you you just you understand things, even if you know there are little gaps that pe you need to work harder. I think people enjoy that quite. And just on sustainability for a tiny bit longer, the, uh, the do you think? What next for sustainability within theatre for you, do you think? Do you think that we'll see productions like Artemis Julie and the learning and the ethos of that show rolled out at other theatres or, or carbon budgets, for instance, associated to shows or, or a change in the, the values of, of how we rehearse? What, what yeah, What's going to happen? One of the, well, I mean, so, you know, I think scenery salvage and kind of making sure that the sets are recycled or kind of stored, I think, is something that a lot of theatres are now doing. And certainly we were, we started to work on a double budget and... Um, you know, cost budget and also a carbon budget. And I think that one of the biggest things that is a useful thing is just keeping it front of mind, is making sure that everyone is conscious of it and how they're making work. And so actually having it on your production, um, your production meeting agenda of just making sure that every single conversation is always kind of looping back to that. You know, do we really want that item from China or could we find it elsewhere? Do we need to kind of make this decision earlier in order to do that can really, can really help. So I think that there is... It, you know, I think it's not as big a conversation as I might like it to be, mm. but I think it is much more in in the zeitgeist and in the collective thinking than it used to be. And I think production managers and directors can work really powerfully together to make those changes. Here's fingers crossed. You mentioned Juliet Stevenson. Let's return to Juliet Stevenson then, because your fantastic production of Happy Days, which was here at the Young Vic a couple of uh, years ago, uh, with her. Uh, in, in that, tell me about that and, and what that was like to, to, to make that show. 
I've wanted to make that show for a really long time. And actually, when we were searching, part of the search for the play for Classics for a New Climate was about a play that might really speak to the project of Classics for a New Climate. So we read lots of plays, you know, about... Um, you know, for instance, like Long Day's Journey into Night, which talks about the kind of the light switching on and the cost of, of energy. And and one of the plays I really want to do was Happy Days. You know, I thought, oh, it's kind of all you could really see climate change through it. Let's do it. And and David said, you know, it's too hard. You can't you can't do it. And and actually, after Miss Julie, I felt was really perfect. And and when David and I really loved it because Patrick Marber himself had transposed it to the you know just immediately post World War Two. So all of that make do and mend spirit and kind of trying to kind of find different ways to kind of be economic was very much part of the fabric of the play and so it kind of spoke very well to the um to the idea of classics for a new climate and we got we did a kind of infographic along the corridor afterwards so that people could see those changes that we'd made and what we'd what we tried to do and so I guess happy days had always been in my mind and so when um when I was an associate here and David, you know, was talking about, you know, what play, you know, what what would be the right play, you know, we'd meet every Thursday morning talking about the right play and I just thought, oh, you know, would he let me like shall I shall I just risk asking him about it again and I said look you know I just can't get this play out of my my mind I'd really really love to do it I think it's incredibly powerful and for whatever reason he <laughs> thought that now was that now was the right time so um, it was a brilliant opportunity to be able to kind of you know when sometimes when you have those plays in your mind circling you really need a chance to exercise them um, and so it was a great opportunity to sort of do that to do that work fantastic Natalie, uh, in an interview in What's On Stage a short while ago, you said that it's important for a theatre director to have the self-confidence to say, I don't know. And I found that quite interesting. Is it difficult for a director to ever admit to, I don't know? Is that exposing a vulnerability, perhaps? I mean, I guess I can't speak for anyone else other than myself. And I guess that's one of the things I really wonder about is that, you know, I've only been in a certain number of rehearsal rooms, whereas the actors that I'm working with are meeting with and working with so many other directors. So I can't speak for anyone else, but I know that... I am not that self-confident a person. So for me, I need to find the confidence to know what I'm trying to explore in the play and what I'm trying to bring out in it by doing a lot of research in advance. So, for instance, with Wings, you know, we met a lot of neurologists and speech and language therapists and met a lot of stroke survivors, particularly those with aphasia. And I read a lot of books and watched, you know, the joy of YouTube now is that you can watch interviews and kind of we watch documentaries and things like that. So I find that really helpful in knowing that I'm meeting the play and meeting the start of the rehearsals with as much knowledge as I can have and then the joy is I think of collaborating with people is that each of those individual actors is thinking just about their character and I've been thinking in 360 so there's only so much detail I can think about for each of those characters and I'm not also living the play through them I mean you can read the play each time and that's a lovely exercise to read the play from each character's perspective um, and do that but the what I most love about rehearsals is is the ideas that the actors bring and also the questions they ask, which you can't prepare for because they will always come out with these brilliant questions. And often that, you know, is is absolutely terrifying. And I have found it, you know, I find it really, really liberating in a way to say, I don't, I don't know. You know, I've done as much research as I can. I am where we are. Let's find out. Let's figure it out together. Let's, you know, figure out who are the right people to to ask and explore that together. And I guess that is for me the spirit of collaboration that we are we're working as a, as a company and, you know, all of the ideas are kind of put together and, you know, we then distill them together. So I am, um, it has taken me, con- I found that very liberating when someone said that to me because I thought, yes, it's okay to say that I am, although I am the director, I'm kind of steering, steering the ship. There is that kind of idea of, you know, 
I guess that Socratic idea of kind of Socrates saying he was only the midwife to people's ideas. That's all I'm there to do is kind of try and bring ideas out. And so therefore I don't need to know the answers to everything because we're trying to make something we've never made before. And how would we know all the answers? We're trying to figure it out together. And you're a fantastic midwife, let me let Oh, say thanks, so. yeah, that's my experience. <laughs> but I think, you know, it is, com- it, you know, particularly, it's not the situation now because I'm a bit more experienced, not at midwifery, but in, but in directing. But, you know, I think particularly when you're starting out, you are often the youngest person in the room potentially and you know you're asking actors to be very brave and you want to make them feel brave but you know that also they need to go out and perform every night and feel very secure in that and actually you don't need to do that so you need to do whatever you can to help them find their performance and feel confident in it and so they need to have confidence in you and you worry if you say I don't know whether that will undermine that but I think if they feel that you have investigated and really mined things as much as you can then the saying I don't know is oh my gosh, you've brought up something that I'd never ever thought about. Let's see how we can solve that together. And I wonder if that's the case with uh, the other medium that you direct in, uh, film. You've directed a number of uh, Young Vic short films. Is that a completely different challenge uh, for you as opposed to theatre? Yes, I mean, it's been the most thrilling opportunity to be able to direct these um, these shorts for the, for the Young Vic. And I've always wanted to direct, direct film, but never had the opportunity. And it has been... Yeah, it is revealing of what I know and what I don't what I don't know. And, you know, I like the idea of working in sketches in the rehearsal room and you kind of find, you know, you find something and then you kind of go, well, let's leave that and take that and kind of keep refining the sketch until you've got more and more detail. And I think the thing that I learned quite, um, was quite a visceral learning experience on the first film that we did, which was um, Life's a Pitch, which was realising that I needed to be really disciplined about only looking through the monitor because it's only what the camera sees that you can then edit with. Because, of course, the sketching process in in film is that you do that in the edit with your editor and you're kind of putting together different takes but of course if you are remembering in your mind something that happened but the camera wasn't on that person when it happened that is completely irrelevant that is a fantasy and you know we you know we did have there are schoolgirl errors for me of kind of going but I know he did this at this moment and searching for that tear and it you know it wasn't the camera wasn't on that person at that point so that was a very good discipline because I think my my, I, what I love is being really close to the actors and really watching them and taking in everything and actually you need to kind of focus in on where the, the camera is. So that was a good learning What do you enjoy experience. more, theatre or film? Oh, I think, you know, the revealing thing about being theatre director is that it's clear that I have a really short attention span and what I love is the variety. I'm really project-focused. I love kind of, you know, investigating, you know, the early 18th century and then kind of going into kind of learning about neurology and strokes and so I think what I like is the, is the variety. But also um, how you respond to an audience, I suppose, is completely different. That uh, in the theatre, you can be sat there in the back row observing how an audience responds to a certain night's production of Wings, say. And with film, you, you don't really have that unless you sit in a cinema. Yeah, that is that is something that I haven't kind of figured out because, you know, the joy of, you know, directing a show if it has an interval or something is that you can listen, you can go to the loos and listen to what people are saying and you can get that feedback and you can so, also can sort of sense an audience, you know, how they are leaning into a show how they're breathing when they're coughing when they might be fidgety or bored and actually you know at the scale I guess of doing features you do do have you do have test screenings but the scale of these shorts we 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 didn't so that is a different thing about not getting feedback but you certainly do invite lots of people in to see the cuts that you make and so you are getting feedback from from them but yes I am I really live for that, for that feedback. So um, it's a kind of different version. And you worked with Juliet Stevenson, again, one of these short films, and she is uh, your lead in Wings, which is on at the moment here at the Young Vic. What attracted you to that play? Why Wings? 
gosh well wings is a long is a long journey to to find it we um we had had a really um enjoyable collaboration on happy days um which was at the young vic in 2014 and already sort of towards the end once it opened you know once we'd stopped doing that kind of work every day and previews Juliet sort of started to feel well you know oh my gosh it's nearly it's nearly over I love this what is the next project and I guess for her the you know she was thinking what is my my Lear you know the role of Winnie is so extraordinary and of course she can play Lear but it's not necessarily a role that was written for you know a, a woman like her at her kind of stage of life and so we kind of went on this quest to find another project and in luckily David Lan initially just said well look we're going to bring back we, um, Happy Days next year so we kind of staved it off for the moment but then we sort of set up a little play group where we read plays together and kind of came up with different ideas and we would we each time we'd you know we'd meet every month or so and we'd read a play and then we would go back to David Lan and say what do you think of this and he just found all our ideas incredibly banal <laughs> um, so luckily finally he kind of said have you have you read this play and I hadn't even heard of it to my shame and I couldn't really find a copy so I kind of then texted him one night saying could you could you bring it in and I and I read it and absolutely loved it I just found it so fascinating that it was written from within the point of view of a woman who was experiencing a stroke and it felt incredibly formally innovative particularly the opening sequence where it it kind of is in columns and it kind of gives what Mrs Stilson herself is saying but also the images that she's seeing and the sounds that she's hearing and that sort of um, confusion and I found it really really it just stayed with me I just couldn't get it out of my mind and under my skin and that's always a good sign and we sent it to Juliet and she loved it as well and so then we sort of set about the last 18 months kind of finding a way to figure out how best to bring it to the stage because it's almost an impossible challenge that Copit sets the the creative team which is to stage the inside of someone's brain their own point of point of view and so we kind of deliberated long and hard about what the best metaphor for that was and then Michael Levine who is you know an absolute genius um came up with this idea the designer the designer <laughs> yes helpful yes just generally a genius yeah not just someone you know yeah the Michael, Michael Levine who is who is our designer came up with this idea of her being suspended in space so that in a way you use her whole body to represent her brain and so every time she kind of might stretch a limb to kind of try and you know which might be trying to find a word and so you could represent that by her stretching out a limb to kind of try and find the word toothbrush and you really see effort shown through the body because of course being in a harness is incredibly taxing physically you know it's a it's she is athletic beyond you know anyone's expectation she's really really extraordinary and it's an amazing thing to both be performing in a harness to be performing with an accent to kind of then also be trying to learn this language which a lot of it is completely unintelligible because she has fluent aphasia and so it's um yeah I don't know anyone else who could have done it and had you or Julia even done any aerial or, or circus work before no <laughs> no, no, not at all. So it was um, a completely a, new medium for you. A completely new medium, and I think you know that's really brilliant and also terrifying. And you know, Juliet was saying that she loves being in three hundred and sixty and being able to play in all planes and kind of having, you know, pe- you know, being able to see above her and below her and really use her body in in space. But also really terrifying to feel like a novice, you know. And it kind of, and of course, I love that thrill of being at the exponential stage of the learning curve of always kind of really trying to push oneself really hard, but. It's also very, very scary being in rehearsals and feeling that scared of whether it's even possible to make this play. Well, rehearsals must have been very difficult then. Where did where did you rehearse? Were you in a... Not you. Was Juliet in a harness for, for the rehearsals? Juliet was in a harness for the whole of rehearsals. So we had the flying rig and we had our brilliant operators, Sam and Rod, with us in rehearsals the whole time because they sort of operate as a, 
as a as a as a robot essentially you know sam is responsible for juliet tracking across and then rod is responsible for juliet going up and down and she can't do anything without them and so they are they are a little a little a merry trio and there's members of the company who are stroke survivors themselves was that important for you to have a sense of authenticity around the piece yeah, I think it was really important that where that where we could, we could open up the casting. I really believe that one should be as integrated as possible in one's casting and make sure that the the world you're representing on stage represents the world the world outside. And that's very much, I think, the ethos of the Young Vic. So Julia Horan, our fantastic casting director, put out a call to people who had experience of stroke, and we were really struck by the response that we had and really humbled by the amazing openness and talent of the people that we met and it felt really really important to us to be able to include them in our production fantastic well i uh, saw wings uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was a really fantastic production so thank you so much uh, natalie before i let you go i just want to know if you're allowed to tell us what top secret plans you've got coming up in the future Oh, that is a very, very good question. Um, I'm afraid that there's nothing that I can announce, but I'm definitely looking for new challenges, maybe okay. a scuba show. Okay, well, watch this space. Natalie, thank you so much for coming in to chat to us this morning. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Off Book by The Young Vic. If you'd like to hear more conversations with some of the most exciting people in theatre, subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Mm-hmm.